Thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Locations Unknown, episode three. I am Joe. I am Mike. And uh, welcome back from the, the holiday. Uh, we're getting big quick. If you couldn't tell... <laughs> We got a pretty big star, you know, not a big deal. Yeah. Pretty big just, No, we... Just we, the one and only Morgan Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, as a joke over the holiday, I, I told Mike I wanted Morgan Freeman to announce our show, so I went on Fiverr. For those of you who don't know what Fiverr is, it's a website where you can go on and get people to do pretty much anything for five bucks, so use your imagination, but I found a... Guy on there who'll do a Morgan Freeman sound alike of anything up to 250 characters. So I paid him to, I think, 20 bucks to read our intro and then uh, send it to Mike as a joke, but we both liked it. Next episode, we'll have Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, so we're going to do something, something goofy. So maybe we'll continue this. Maybe we won't. We'll see what happens. But again, thanks for listening in. We're back from a long break. It was a good Christmas or holiday, whatever you celebrate. And we got a neat case for you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Episode three, Bobby, Bi- it's Bizup. Bizup, right? yeah. up. okay. I kept saying Bizup over the whole break and thinking <laughs> that was the name. It's Bizup as we researched more. Bobby Bizup was at Camp Milo Retreat in uh, the late 50s. He was, what, 10 years old? Um, I believe he was, apologize here, uh, this is called show prep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was 10 years old. 10 years old. And uh, yeah, he went uh, missing in 1958 in, like you said, that retreat that's just on yeah. the border of Rocky Mountain National Park. Yeah, it's not there anymore, but uh, we'll give a high level. He was fishing on a creek bed. Park counselor came up to him and said it's dinner time. So it was in the evening. Uh, yep. We'll get into that later. Started going downhill towards the camp. And at one point, the counselor turned around. He was gone. They started searching. For a long time, couldn't find them. So it's a pretty crazy case, uh, very wooded area. Uh, what we're going to do now is I'm going to get into the location profile. And uh, just to oh, mention, yeah, in. before we, we get into the location profile, we also have a special guest uh, for this oh, episode yes. as well, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Dave Haskin. He's a director of search and rescue out in Colorado for a three-county region, and he's he's got 46 years of experience in search and rescue, so we are going to be talking to him a little bit later. Yeah, it's, we're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, we try and get these interviews prior to recording the episode. We couldn't get Dave on until uh, later in the next coming week, so we're going to do the show. We're going to cut into him at some point. We're going to, hopefully this flows well. We're going to see what happens uh, with us <laughs> recording the show before the initial interview. It's not going to be a live interview. We're going to be interviewing hopefully in, in a few days. We'll, we'll get some more information on what search and rescue is like in that area. So, Camp St. Milo in Estes Park. It's technically right outside the park. It was a, a Catholic boys retreat, and it's no longer in existence. They, they don't have it there anymore. I'll give a little the bit... The physical building's still there. Yeah, it's, it's not there. run anymore Yeah, it's now. not run anymore. Yeah, so St. Milo Retreat was also known as the Chapel on the Rock. It was built in 1936. It was on land donated by Mr. and Mrs. Oscar Malo, hence the name. The concept of the Chapel in the Rock was founded by Monsignor Joseph Bosetti, I think is the name, in 1916 when he came across a large rock formation just east of Rocky Mountain National Park. 
And he was inspired by the biblical phrase, upon this rock, I will build my church. It was donated to the archdiocese and they made a camp out of it. So it was used as a boys camp led by priests and seminarians. And they, they would do a lot of things if you think about today, like Boy Scout camps. I know I was a scout yeah. growing up and it's, you're basically just, you're learning survival skills and you're hanging out with other kids your same age and you're fishing and doing yeah. all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't anything religious based necessarily. It wasn't like where they sent priests or anything like yeah. that. It was just a boys camp run by seminarians in the archdiocese at that time. Yeah. All right. So back to the location profile. Camp St. Milo, it's on the southeastern border of Rocky Mountain National Park. It's actually at the base of Mount Meeker. When you look at pictures of this thing, you're going to, we'll, we'll post a few. Beautiful location. Looks amazing. I would yep. have loved to have gone camp there. It looked, it looked awesome. Yeah. Uh, just a, a great picturesque Colorado Rockies site. It was yeah. a really good location for the church. The park itself was established by President Woodrow Wilson on January 26, 1915. So in 2017, they had 4.4 million people visit the park. So it's a busy park. It's a very busy yes. park. It's the second highest annual visitation rate for a national park in the United States. So you can imagine in the summer months, you're going to be... It's you busy. Know, you'll be fighting people on the trail. I know Joe, um, he's, you've probably done six 14-footers now in Colorado. Yeah. They're a little higher than 14 feet, but no. 14,000 foot. Yeah. 14 yeah. feet. 14ers. Yeah. We've Good done job, 14ers. Man. Yeah, we, um, we, we've done a, I, I try and do at least one 14er out there. Um, I've done the Lincoln Bross Democrat loop. That was great. You can hit four 14ers in a day if you've got the, the it's stamina exhausting, to go. Though. Yeah, it's, if you've got the stamina, it's an all day thing. Yep. Recently attempted to do capital and we went the wrong way. So oh. it was just an uphill battle. Yep. I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the story, because I think there's some comparisons that make sense for what happened to Bobby. So I'm going to get into my experience on Capitol with a group of people later when Mike's going through the timelines. Yep. Um, just some interesting historical facts about the area. People have been visiting Rocky Mountain National Park for over 11,000 years, where projectile points have been found that are believed to have been used by people to hunt mammoths. Early hunters, known as the Paleo-Indians, would enter the park on what is now called Trail Ridge Road to hunt, well, now extinct mammals such as the Macedons. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's, that's an, it's incredible. Can you imagine being hiking out in Colorado and a Mastodon walks by yeah, you? I, I can't yeah. even picture yeah, we, that. We worry about very little things compared <laughs> to a Mastodon or even a mammoth coming by. And if, if you're not unfamiliar what a Mastodon or even a mammoth is, it's, picture an African elephant with... Lots of hair and giant tusks. And just bigger. And yeah, a lot bigger. <laughs> just a lot bigger. Yeah. Bigger, scarier, more deadly. Yes. Just like everything at that time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then up to more recent times, uh, by the 19th century, European and American expeditions started to push through the area. One of the more famous expeditions was led by Stephen Long of the Army Corps of Engineers, who in 19 or 1819 led a team through the park to document the topography, the fauna and flora they encountered. So they're just kind of getting almost like a scientific study of the area. Yeah, I mean, you think back at this time, we, there were no maps of most of the western part of the country. So you know how you do that. You, you literally have to send people through the park yeah. and write everything down. Yeah, so. draw it out and yeah. try and find so these know, guys local had, inhabitants. And had stuff. no idea what they were going to experience, what type of animals they would see. So, you know, kind of going in blind. and Yeah, and think about the gear. 
Yeah. Or lack thereof. Yeah. If they have gear, it's like all leather. Yeah. <laughs> like, so if it's raining, it's like, oh, you, it was 80 pounds. Now it's 200. Yep. No equipment, no safety stuff. So, I mean, these are real pioneers. There's and, no search and rescue back then. Yeah, so if they, something happens, you're pretty much out of luck. Yeah. They're, they're going to leave you there. <laughs> By 1825, Long's Peak began showing up on maps and would eventually become the official name of the peak. In... The 1870s, gold fever had hit the area and several mining camps sprung up along the Colorado River and Lulu City Trail. But by the mid-1880s, miners deserted the camps. They and kept heading west. west. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't... They, they were fine and stuff there, but it was not worth it. I think no. uh, word was coming out that California was where you needed to be. Yep. And meanwhile, the real smart people are selling shovels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So exactly. say, don't be digging for mine. Be the, be the guy that's selling them all the equipment. Yeah, you'll be the rich one. <laughs> yeah. So the size, 265,795 acres or 415 square miles. It's a big park, similar to the size of Suffolk, Virginia. It's big. It's a, it's a wide area. Yep. Um, very rugged terrain. The average temperatures range from the highs in the upper 60s. That's in July to lows in the teens during the winter months. And, you know, talking about climate in higher alpine, you know, elevations, it could be 80 degrees down, you know, the base of the mountain and you get up an elevation. Joe knows this. When you get up oh, to yeah. 14,000 feet, it yeah. gets cold. Even in July, we, be, it could be snow up there. We ran into like the <laughs> coolest guy I ever met, but he was like, I thought he was on drugs when I met him. So this will be, I, I promise this will be short side thing, but we were doing uh, Long's Peak and we were trying to go through the keyhole. So for those of you who might know, there's several camps. It's a very popular 14er to do. It's hard. It's one yeah. of the harder ones, but a lot of campsites along the way. It's really neat. If you're a regular you could do it in a day. Yeah. It's a lot of work. You can do it. We, we did it in two days where we were camping. I brought out some people who'd never done it before. Yep. But we were at base camp before making uh, Summit, and we're climbing up towards a keyhole, which is just sprawling boulders. It's yeah. rocks. You're climbing. It's, it's kind of difficult. To, it's not really like a trail. Yeah. You don't need equipment to do it, but you're climbing over big rocks and stuff. Like a mile away, we see this headlight bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. And we're climbing up the rock face. You know, yeah. we're looking back to see who's coming up. We see headlamps. And it seemed like every time I turn around, he was like a quarter mile closer. <laughs> like, like this guy was running. Yeah. He was running. And then all of a sudden, we're three quarters of the way up towards Keyhole. Yep. He's at the base of the, uh, the rock pile now. Like, <laughs> like. It's ridiculous how fast this guy's moving. We get up to the top of the rock pile and we hear, hey, what's up, guys? And we're like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like, this guy, like, he's in, like, biker shorts. Yeah. Like, biking shoes and a t-shirt and a headlamp. And it's, like, a blizzard. Yeah. He's like, well, it's, a, it's a lot warmer in the parking lot where I started. Yeah, <laughs> so that's a good good reason why you prepare when you, you go up to elevation. You don't want to be caught up there yeah. in bad weather in shorts and you know a t-shirt yeah he was like in great condition so we were give we were giving him some of our clothes like because i was overdressed and i was like here dude like you're gonna freeze to death but he was a cool dude but he had basically ran yeah, the whole trail that's insane yeah the whole way up and then I've, i'm assuming he was a local yeah oh yeah he was a local <laughs> and he said something about he was like leaving the state that day and he wanted to quick get a 14er in so wow <laughs> so yeah who knows he was an awesome dude uh but yeah i, I was not doing that no that's an, that's an pretty insane <laughs> so yeah that that just illustrates mike's differentiator between i mean the parking lot of where he started to where yep. it was 30 degree difference well, in snow and uh you know from i uh, i've hiked in the canadian rockies and we were out there a while ago near mount assinibone 
our hike up to one of the peaks there, we literally went from sunny and 80 to rain to snow. We got to the peak of the mountain. We were, it, it was about ni- one of the peaks around was like 9,500 feet. Yeah. And there was snow on the top. And then off in the distance, there were thunderstorms rolling in. So that just shows you how quickly yeah. weather can change from you know, sunny to snow back to thunder and lightning. Yeah. And the one thing anybody that goes hiking in elevation knows you do not want to be caught on a mountain peak in a lightning storm. Yeah, that's the thing that'll kill you. <laughs> lightning kill you. kills more mountain climbers than anything yes. else. Everyone's always worried about falling. Yeah. It's, it's actually just getting hit by lightning. <laughs> All right. So going to get back to the climate. So what we talked about was it's 60s in July, low teens in the winter months. Like it's not freezing you know it can get obviously the elevation negatives lots and lots of snow yep uh not not terrible i've been there in winter months it's it's yep. a lot of fun beautiful area like a great place to be in when it's like that cold arctic air will come down from the north meeting with warm moist air coming from the gulf of mexico so that's where they get all that snow you know they're measured in feet at most times yep. when you're getting up that high and if you ever see <laughs> pictures of snow removal yeah on um the main roads that drive up there it's they have like these 22 foot posts to show so that you don't drive a snowplow truck off the edge of the cliff. Yeah, it's insane. And then it and there's there's months where they just shut it down. Yep. It's it's not worth the snow removal and it's just you have these 14 foot walls on either side of a road. So it's it's pretty incredible if you have the time, go look up snow removal in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous and that's why they shut it down. So I'll jump into a little bit of the geology. During the Paleozoic Paleozoic era, that's 541 to 251 million years ago, much of the Western United States, including the park, was under the sh- under a shallow sea with a seabed uh, composed of limestone, dolomite deposits that were many kilometers thick. So it was underwater. Yeah, Pikes Peak granite formed during the late Precambrian era and continued well into the Paleozoic era. A lot of uh, quantities of molten rock flowed through there. There's a lot of water. So a lot of different yep. things were happening that basically formed this area. 300 million years ago, the land was uplifted, creating the ancestral Rocky Mountains. That's where you have your tectonic shifts and the plates colliding. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, we're floating on a bunch of plates. Yeah, They crash into each other. They pull apart. When that happens, earthquakes happen. But pretty much that's where we get all of our mountain ranges from. So, lifted up, the land continued to uplift for hundreds of millions of years, creating what we call the Rocky Mountains today. So, that's going up through, I mean, does it, it goes all the way up to Alaska, through Canada, yep. down all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. So, you can basically it's trace a very long them. mountain chain. It's, the, it's the, the trace of the edge of the tectonic plate. Yep. So, if you look at the whole thing on a map, it's really cool. As we get from Alaska on down, so when you're in Alaska and Canada... It's much more of an aggressive mountain range. Mm-hmm. And then as you get towards the Gulf, it's a little bit more mellow. Yeah. You know, you're not seeing the <laughs> like the jutting up more. It kind of yeah. rolls into it a little bit more smooth, if you can imagine that. So much of the park also had massive glaciers that helped shape the features. So there's areas where you can see where glaciers either push rock, yep. carve the land away, and remove much of sedimentary rock. So it was, they said it was as much as 5,000 feet. Yeah, from I was surprised when earlier I Earlier inland. So yeah. I mean, that's... That's that's ridiculous. It's a lot of force. It's a lot of force. I mean, that's like, you know, more than half a mile yeah. of rock. Yep. So, I mean, that's, you know, good thing we weren't around then. Yeah. <laughs> Although it happened slow. It's not yeah. like, like one day. It took like a few hundred million years. <laughs> yeah, but. No, one day it just comes <laughs> carving through and removing it. Um, so, some of the dangers present, predators as far as animals go, Canadian lynx, foxes, uh, 
Fox, foxes, fox. Fox. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Mises, moose. No. There's no moose there. Bobcats, cougars, uh, 20 to 30 mountain lions in the area. Um, that's cougars and bobcats. Black bears, coyotes. So not none of those are... They always sound bad. Those typically leave people alone. You'll probably hear us say it multiple times in other podcasts. Yep. They stay away from people. Especially it, a park this busy. They're yeah. going to stay off the main trails. Yeah. If anything, you're having, uh, I've seen a couple times, black bear will come into major campgrounds because there's yep. food. Yeah. They're, that's, they're not going there to go after people. But they people can pretty and, easily be yeah. scared off. It's just making loud noise. and. Yeah. Really, uh, the, the, the ones you worry about, wolves and grizzlies, were yep. removed from the park in the 1900s. So... You're not having any of your major ones. That's one of the parks I go to that's not really a concern about animals when I'm there. Yeah, it's a good park to bring little kids to because you're not going to, uh, like Glacier, where we had a big... Yeah, I wouldn't bring my kids there. Big grizzly problem, and uh, you know I wouldn't know that I'd feel comfortable with kids. I, yeah, I wouldn't bring my kids backcountry yeah. in Glacier. Um, <laughs> the main roads, yeah, there's so many people. The only thing you worry about with any tiny kid is... They can, and it does happen, get you know scooped up by the by the cats when they're by themselves. Yeah. So that's even like when I bring my kids there, it's like, all right, stay in a group. Yeah. As long as you're in a group, things leave you alone. When you're tiny and by yourself, you got to watch out. Yeah. Terrain, highest elevation is Long's Peak at 14,259 feet. So you're not getting anything higher than low 14ers. There are over 124 name peaks that are at least 8,700 feet think 52 14ers i'm sure somebody listening to me might butcher if i'm one or two <laughs> off because um, it's a big deal if you do all the 14ers yep i'm eventually going to get there but i don't live in the state so who knows if i'll finish them all as far as exposure is concerned as a type of danger mm-hmm. with over 118 peaks that are over 10,000 feet and 77 over 12,000 over 12,000 you're starting to get in the area where you are affected by altitude. And then, as we said, snow and climate are, are very versatile and, in those areas. Yeah, and in this area, the tree line is about eleven to 12,000 feet. So if you get above 12,000 feet, you're losing a lot of your potential cover yes. if something does come up. Yeah, and that's where if you're in a storm or in yep. which if you're a lot of people don't know when they go out and try and do these things. You don't set out at three in the morning to summit a peak because you want to get there at sunrise. You do it because typically... Storms roll in in the afternoon. Yeah. So you want to be able to summit and then get out of that lightning zone, if you will, before the storm comes because you're the highest point. Yeah. You know, the lightning, if you, you could be a few hundred feet below the summit, lightning will strike the, it'll keep hitting the, the peak and you just stay low. But if you're up there, you're it. It's, yeah. it, you're going to get hit by lightning. That's how people die and, and get injured most of the time on, on those mountains. So it's, I would say, as far as difficulty goes, it's not a difficult park for someone who's with a decent amount of experience. Yep. You know, locals there, it's not a difficult place to go. Most of the 14ers are hikeable in, in a day. Yeah. They're not difficult to do. It's just a lot of people not from that area are not used to mountain hiking. Altitude sickness is going to become a real factor. Correct. You're exerting yourself. You're 12, 13, 14,000 feet. Altitude sickness can set in pretty quickly. And if you're not prepared for that, that can also become a, a pretty big issue. We're talking a lot about Estes. It's heavily trafficked. A lot of the 14ers in the area are not inside of a national park, so there aren't very well-defined paths. And that's what we'll get into when I talk about my time on Capitol. But we'll wait for that. We're at the point now we're going to cut into Dave's interview. As we said earlier in the, in the show, we're going to get Dave later in the week. And we're going to talk to him about his perspective from doing search and rescue in the park. He's been there for many years. So he's going to be able to talk about the terrain more than we ever could. Yep his experiences, 
uh, some of his theories, just a little bit more about what search and rescue does out there? Yeah, the tough part for this case is it happened in 1958, so probably most of the people that were involved in the search and rescue are you know, no longer here. Our interview with Dave is more of how, how do you guys conduct your search and rescues now? What kind of difficulties would a missing person face in that kind of environment? Yeah, so. you always have mine and Mike's opinion, but it's always good to get something from the horse. Yeah, Dave mouth. has Dave's 46 there years of uh, search and rescue yeah. experience in Colorado, so he's, a, I would say, an expert on it. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to cut to Dave's interview now, and then uh, we'll cut back in with the character profile with Mike after that. Hi, Dave. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and agreeing to spend a part of your day with us. Sure. Just, to, just to start things off, introduce yourself and kind of go into your background a bit of how you started in search and rescue. Sure. Well, my name is Dave Haskin, and I'm the chief with uh, Rampart Search and Rescue here in Adams County in Colorado. And I've been involved in this for many years. It dates back to 1973. Um, I kind of got involved in it in kind of a unique, different way. We, I lived in Manitou Springs, which is a suburb of Colorado Springs. The house that I lived in was the last residential house before you went up Ute Pass, which was uh, a decent graded uh, mountain road that goes up towards Woodland Park and, and further west there on Highway 24. And we had a series of semis that was coming down, losing their brakes, and they would crash right in front of my house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, not in the house. Yeah. They did uh, crash into a apartment complex across the street from us, but uh, luckily it was just the garage area. The <laughs> residence was on the second and third floor, and I got involved, uh, well, directing traffic in a couple of them. And so that's where it kind of got the bug, and I ended up being a deputy with the uh, local sheriff's office and uh, got involved with the uh, setting up a search and rescue team back around 1973. So. Okay, so probably kind of involved in it on and off ever since. Okay, and like you said, you've been involved in search and rescue for, I think you said, 40-plus years now, off and on. Yeah. So you're, you're probably very familiar with... Colorado, and I know the case we're talking about is specifically related to kind of the Rocky Mountain National Park. I'm assuming you've probably been up there. Can you maybe give the listeners kind of a overview of basic geography of the area? You know, how busy does it get in the summer? Things like that. Well, it's a real touristy magnet area. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot of wildlife up there. It's kind of wilderness. Uh, part of the uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is uh, above Timberline. Yeah. And for your listeners, if they're not familiar, Timberline is where the oxygen content is so low, trees do not grow. And then above that is when it turns into basically your rock. Okay. It gets tundra in there. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, that's one thing that uh, people coming from the lower elevations do have a problem when they come up and start hiking is that altitude difference. Segwaying into my next question, suppose a hiker is out in Rocky Mountain National Park or kind of a similar area like that. What what would a response be for a search and rescue team such as yours if they've been reported missing, people aren't sure where they are? What would your next steps be? Well, normally how that would uh, function is 
call would come in probably through 911. That's where most of the calls would come in from. Um, search and rescue would be needed. Uh, the sheriff's office would be contacted. They, in turn, would contact us, or the 911 dispatch center uh, would call us, and then I would put a page out and get our people to uh, start responding. The first thing I would ask is, who are we looking for? How long have they been gone? So I can get some basic information. Yeah. Uh, if a person is lost, the sooner we get involved, the better. Yeah. The the chances of it being a positive outcome probably go down exponentially every day they're missing. It's not good. I can't say that it's uh, linear, but uh, yes, the sooner you can get on the trail, get on the scent, say with the search dogs, yeah, uh, better of an outcome you get. It sounds like exposure is a, a, a major cause of problems that search and rescue might have to respond to. I know in Joshua Tree, when we talked to the guy down there, a lot of a lot of issues come from people climbing on rocks and falling. And do you see that kind of stuff by you? Yes, uh, there's a lot of hikers uh, that will come in and they'll want to do some mountain climbing, mm-hmm. and they uh, their uh, carabiners and pitons will actually come out of the rocks and they'll fall. Oh, geez. And then they have to call search and rescue in, and they have to actually uh, throw their ropes over the side of the edge of the cliff and actually bring the people up. And then we have to get an air ambulance in there to take them to the uh, local hospital. That, yeah. that happens frequently. I remember when I lived down in Colorado Springs, where we're talking in, in the early 2000s, uh, the search and rescue team down there, this is around Pikes Peak, yep. uh, and they were paged out five times in one day. Wow. <laughs> Some of these teams can be very busy, especially in the summertime. Tourism. I talked to you previously, we were kind of talking about the case of Bobby Bizup, and you had mm-hmm. mentioned that search and rescue back in the 50s versus what we see now in 2019 would be vastly different. Could you go in kind of, you know, the a typical, the differences you would probably see between a search and rescue in 1958 versus 2019? In 1958, search and rescue was kind of in its um, beginning stages. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, they had about 300 people or so that were out there searching. Um, it's uncertain that they did grid patterns if they had incident command or they had any type of a structure as far as what group or team was going to be searching what area. So it sounds like training is one area that would be vastly different then versus now. Training would be, and I would also say that um, the other thing would be enhancements with uh, the spots. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There's what they call a PLB, a personal locator beacon. Um, you can mm-hmm. get them at any um, uh, outfitter that's out there. Yeah. REI has got them. Amazon's got them. Um, and if they're GPS enhanced, um, we'll find you within, or your longitude and latitude coordinates would be within a mile. Yeah. If not GPS enhanced and we're just going over radio signals, your longitude and latitude is within 10 miles. Okay. But at least we got an idea of where where you're located at. That's technology has come a long ways for the hikers that are up there, the people that are involved in avalanches. There's avalanche beacons now, yep. so people can be found relatively 
nowadays it's it's a little different than what it was back back in the 50s and the 60s. One other question too I had in related to if someone goes missing in the mountains, what would you as a search and rescue person that's seen years and years of different cases, if someone realizes they're missing, what what's their next step? Should they just stay in place and shelter down and wait for someone to find them or should they try to head down the mountain or what would you recommend? I would say try to get back to the trail. Yeah. And if you're kind of injured and you cannot move much, get to the trail because somebody at some point will come by and you can get help. Yeah. If you take a cell phone, you may or may not have signal if you've got the cell phone. Yep. If you do, you can get 911 if you can make a call. Mm-hmm. If not, the best thing is to just stay put. If you start moving around, your loved ones made the 911 call, Larry is supposed to be hiking up this such and such trail, yep. and if you're out walking around, you're a moving target, and we can't find you. You need to just stay put and stay there. All right, uh, welcome back. So back to the character profile. So being that this is a relatively old case, there isn't a lot about what Bobby was wearing at the time. It was a summer month in the the mountains, so we're going to assume that he's just wearing, you know, the typical clothes that you a child would wear in this type of climate. Yeah, he uh, from his pictures, it seemed like he really enjoyed cowboy hats. Yeah. So you know, you know what it reminded <laughs> me of the original Willy Wonka. So hold on, just to stay with me Let's here. Let's see where this is going. Yeah, just bear. So um, Mike TV, Mikey TV, the kid that was like uh, totally into television and never paid attention. Yeah. And he always wore the cowboy hat. So, not just because he wore the cowboy hat, the pictures that we saw of Bobby kind of looks like that kid. Really? Yeah. So, that, like, so if you're looking for a visual, if you don't go on our site, which you should, if you're not on our site, um, <laughs> that was a threatening tone. He kind of looks like Mike, I think it's Mike TV. I don't I know. I have no idea what I, you're talking about. I haven't seen the original Willy Wonka. <laughs> have you seen the original Willy no. Wonka? Okay. Well, then, yeah, I'm looking at you like, you, you know, right? He looks like Mikey TV, but he's always wearing a red cowboy hat and he's pretending he's a cowboy. So I'm going to shut up now. Mike, go on. Okay. Well, thank you for that insight. Um, (laughs) Half our listeners probably have no idea what you just said. But so uh, Bobby was 10 years old at the time of his disappearance, and he did have a hearing impairment. It sounds like he wasn't full, fully deaf, but he did wear hearing aids. So that, you know, could factor into the search and rescue. He may not be able to hear people uh, calling for him. Other than, you know, other than those yeah, we didn't have pieces of information on height, weight. We don't really know anything. anything about his height or his weight, really anything. We don't know much about his parents. It, being that it's such an old case, I'm not surprised. Yeah, just think of like your average 10-year-old boy. Yeah. And, and he, you can imagine like older style hearing aids are really big. Yep. That's that that was it. I mean, there's there's nothing else that they really said about him or or Madge, at least in a couple of the older cases we looked at. Yeah. There's at least like a profile put together that the police had or put out there. It didn't seem like anyone really cataloged that. No. So, so uh, we're going to jump right into the timeline of his disappearance. Like we said he was at St. Malo retreat, uh, the boys camp kind of, you know, similar to like a boy scout camp on August 15th of 1958, Bobby was fishing down by cabin Creek. Uh, he loved, apparently he loved to fish every day and it sounded like he, he'd been here for several days or, been here before, so he's familiar yeah, they, with the they area. They said he loved fishing. Yep. Relative to the camp, so if you can imagine, you have Mount Meeker, 
which kind of up in the distance, up, up in, the trail, up, up the trail more. He was not very far up the no. trail towards Mount Meeker. Yeah. Just on the side of some creek fishing. And yeah. They said he loved fishing. Yep. So around 6 p.m., camp counselor approached Bobby and informed him it was time for dinner. So, you know, Bobby finished up fishing and then the two of them started walking down the hill back towards camp. The, the counselor a couple times looked behind him and noticed Bobby was right behind him. But at some point on the walk down to camp, and mind you, this isn't uh, this wasn't a technical hike down. It's literally a downhill trail to camp. Yeah, it's like a downhill slope, like a well-defined downhill you know trail. At some point on their walk, the counselor looked behind him, and Bobby was gone. Just, 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 just gone. absolutely gone. And they he walked around, looked for him, couldn't find anything. So, uh, if, if you've ever been to that area too, and, and I think this is really important for people to understand. When you have well-defined paths yeah. on a, a mountainside in Colorado with a lot of brush, it is thick. It's yeah. thick. There's a lot of trees, a lot of stuff. So yep. if there's a well-defined path, to go off trail A is very difficult unless you're doing it on purpose. And yeah. B, if you do, you are just cutting through heavy brush. You are not moving very fast. And if you picture this trail, so you've got Cabin Creek on one side and you've got the trail and both of them are going down the mountain. The, the trail, from what I, I read, kind of mirrors the creek all the way down to the camp and it, there would be no way for someone to get lost on that trail and you know another surprising thing about how he just turned around and was gone at one point you know nowhere did we read that the camp counselor noticed heard anything yeah like you'd assume if you know maybe we'll get into more you'd hear of a brush theories. rustling so you would have yeah if he walked like if off he, trail you'd hear brush rustling said like or, maybe he was trying to hide on yep. him i mean if, if you've ever played around with a 10-year-old and they hide and seek, you can kind of know what they're doing. They're not aware of how to actually be quiet, especially yeah. in thick brush. So, um, and, so, And I think it's worth mentioning, like they said, he was deaf, he had the impairment. Now, I don't want to like put it on anybody, but back then, you know, he probably was teased for it So because they, they said he kept to himself. Yeah. So when I think of that, you think of a kid back then, he's probably teased about it. It was I won't say socially acceptable, but they didn't yeah. really frown upon it. Like today, if you were, if you made fun of a kid with an impairment, it's a big deal today. Yep. Where back then it wasn't, and probably some awful parents joined in. <laughs> so you have this kid who who probably at that camp, you know, was teased a little bit. Yep. He was fishing by himself when everyone yeah. else is doing everything. So he's probably teased a bit. So it's not like he's going to be playing games on the camp counselor. Those types of kids, you always feel like they just listen and do what they're supposed to yep. do. And so, you know, they said, hey, it's, he loves a fish. Time for dinner. Picks yeah. up his stuff. It's following the camp counselor. Not a big deal. So um, within the next uh, four days, a massive search and rescue effort at the time was undertaken. It, it went for nine days. It involved uh, 400 people from not only the National Park Service, but the local sheriff's office and other search and rescue volunteers. Uh, they searched over a radius of 16 uh, square miles, and they also had bloodhound dogs, and they had assistance from Denver's Lowry Air Force Base as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and the bloodhounds were searching the woods. They had skin divers searching some of the bigger ponds. The search also extended up to Mount Meeker, up to about 11,000 feet on Mount Meeker, and four miles in each direction of his last location. So and that's where we always talk about. We don't, we don't know. And, and maybe in the interview coming up, we'll get some insight yeah. from, from Dave, but we don't know how they, how they did yeah. SAR back then and SAR, SAR search and rescue. But anytime they involve dogs and they don't find somebody, yeah. that is insane to me. At and least I, a, a I, sense, I, like a trail. Yeah, I just learned now, and I don't know if they had these back then, but there, I was listening to another podcast called uh, true crime garage. And they were talking about um, a case 
they have dogs that can smell through water. Yeah. Like, so they have these dogs that can smell like 15 meters underwater for bodies. Yeah. So that puts in perspective how strong of a sense a dog's nose is. Yep. And it's not like in just a few, you know, the in 40, 50 years that's changed. Yeah. So they have these dogs that are, and they're, they're, they're using them. So you think, okay, if he's around, even if he got lost, trip, fell, killed, they're going to find him because these dogs are going to pick up the scent. It's warm summer months. There's not yep. snow. There's not a lot of stuff happening. And, he, and that's where I even say, even if it rained, uh, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. They can smell through exactly you know, lots of water. And uh, so, yeah, this search went on for nine days. At one point, the Civil Air Patrol dropped over 5,000 leaflets with a message from his parents in a 200-square-mile radius. So, I mean, you they can imagine. They papered the mountainside. They papered the, the mountainside with these leaflets. You can imagine. I don't think they do that today. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone hiking in that 200 miles would probably find one of these leaflets yeah. you know, blowing around in the wind. Sure. Um, so in his parents wrote on the leaflets, uh, wrote mother and father love you. We need you. Mother is sick. She needs you at home. We love you. Um, I don't, I don't mean to laugh. That's like, it's, a, it's kind of, it's, yeah. it's, I don't want to laugh cause you think maybe it's like mother desperation. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to say to get our son to come out? Maybe, maybe drop like 5,000 maps. Well, no, <laughs> I, I'm even saying like, what is like mother is sick. Yeah. She needs you home. So I don't know, like maybe he had a great relationship with his mom and that might, yeah. Did they think he was hiding? Like, did they think something like well, and that the, would like that would coax him out? Yeah. So the um, the the guy running the retreat it made a statement at one point that he thought, oh, he'll he'll turn up. He's just out in the woods playing like hide and seek with the counselors. Obviously, that wasn't the case. And that's like a common theme. Like, yeah. With uh, I won't say even law enforcement, but mentality back then, it's like, ah, eh, not a big deal. He'll turn up. Yeah, it will happen. <laughs> it's, it's like nowadays, like, if anyone said anything like that, they, they'd lose their job and have to be a hermit somewhere. Like. Um, but so, the like we said, the search went on for nine days, and then on August 25th, the uh, search officially ended. Over the next several months, there were stories, people were, you know, saying, oh, we think we might have seen him in, in town. Uh, well, and what, what, there was a statement from the parents that seemed weird to me. Oh, when yeah, they yeah. Ended, what, like, they ended the search. They and, said, we're just giving up. Yeah, they're like, we gave up all hope. Yeah. In, like, nine days. I know, that's... <laughs> I, I, have, I have six kids. If one of them was missing... You'd never give up. I would, yeah, literally, <laughs> like, yeah, you might go home. Yeah. Um, I mean, we talked about the last episode, you know, with, with Paul, and his family had to, they have to go home. Yep. But they're like still searching for him and not to minimize it all. Like he's an adult man. Yeah. If it's like this helpless, like 10 year old child. Yeah. Like nine days. You're like, ah, we've given up all hope. I know. So that's, so, that, that was a little weird, a little weird. And then it gets, it gets a little stranger. Um, you know, later this next several months, like I said, people were claiming to have seen him in Estes park, a vacationing physician there claimed to have seen him walking the streets, whatever that means. That's, that's, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's weird. And then, um, well, and that's f- the the city's far away. While you're talking, I'm gonna look that up. How far the city is from well, where I the street was? It said it was 15 miles north of St. Malo's. So like he had wandered. He 15 wandered out miles of the park north. He like lived in the woods for several months and then wandered out to this city. And there was another. Um, Did they even say like he looked homeless? Like no, his clothes there was were no tattered? other. Yeah, there was no so other was, description. Like, just clean like boy wandering around. Yeah, and then. Um, uh, clerks at a hardware store in town also reported seeing a young boy that resembled him and they even tried asking him questions and they, the the boy failed to respond and just pointed at his mouth and ears and then quickly left when they approached him. So that's another just bizarre that's, 
encountered. So, so we have at least <laughs> two documented cases of people who claim to have seen a boy resembling Bobby. Yeah. And I can actually, I can actually jive with the fact that they've said that because there's been a few times where I've seen like a child alone in public yeah. and you notice it. Yep. It was even before I've had kids. I notice it now even when I have kids. If I see like a 10-year-old wandering around, yeah. like where are your parents? Yep. And you watch, like I've watched them for a while and then all of a sudden their brother will come over and then their family comes like, oh, okay, he's fine. Yeah. Because I'm always ready to go up and say, hey, do you need help? Yep. Like I'll, I'll hang out with the kid until a cop comes. So I can really believe that these people saw a kid matching Bobby's description because yeah. that's a very memorable thing as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Because I can remember a few of them that I know were then found by parents. Yeah. And that's very specific too. And they said, you know, he's pointing to his ears and mouth and saying, I can't. So you have this wandering 10-year-old not only matching his description, yeah. but also with the same impairment. Yeah. I think your odds drop dramatically. Like, I feel like there's a good possibility they saw Bobby. Yeah. You know, so for the next several months, obviously a couple people claim to have seen him. But on June 6th, 1959, so almost a year later from his disappearance, three camp counselors from the same retreat, including... Uh, one who helped lead the original search for Bobby came across pieces of a hearing aid, scraps of clothing, and some bones uh, 2,000 feet up from the retreat on Mount Meeker. On Mount Meeker. So, and they, and they were saying these guys were like, these guys seem like they didn't give up. Yeah. And it's kind of, so people were still looking for him even a year later, and uh, later it was confirmed that all these items were belonging to Bobby and the bones were his. So they, they found his remains just on the side of the mountain a year later. Yeah. In the 2, area they feet searched. Up. Yeah, the area was already previously searched. So the remains were found in a ravine's heavy underbrush just below the tree line on uh, Mount Meeker in a space along Crabbin Creek. So in all the articles we read stated that the ravine and the surrounding area had already been searched once. It was really, it's puzzling for people that were involved in this case. They They don't understand how his remains and you know his hearing aid and scraps of clothing made it up there. Well, and there's a couple there's a couple of pictures we'll post on the website that kind of show where his remains were found relative to the camp. Yeah. So they like superimposed uh, uh like the trail that he yep. po- possibly could have took to where his remains were found. And this is where I wanted to get back into my experience on Capitol. Part of Capitol was um there's no really defined trail. It's not in a, a national park. It's mm-hmm. BLM land, which is Bureau of Land Management. It's unmanaged basically. Yeah. So you kind of are roughing it through your bushwhacking, which means you're cutting through your own path when you're getting up there. The difficulty level, and we didn't actually end up summiting because um, some of the people we were with were inexperienced. It was taking way too long to get up to a very similar altitude Mm -hmm. to the point where, I mean, we were working very hard with the intent of going up the mountain to the point where we were breaking every few minutes just to catch our breath and things. And we were trying to get up there so it makes me think about how did this little kid, 11-year-old kid, let's assume it had, he was wandering Estes and yeah. then made his way back to Camp Milo and then just decided, I'm going to go summit this mountain randomly. Yeah. I don't know how he would have got that high. Yeah, I don't either. Like, I mean, halfway up is still a stretch. Yep. Like, it, it's, and from what they show is, like, basically where he was fishing, you know, there's a little bit more trail, but it stops because it goes up the mountain and, yeah. and it's thick, thick underbrush. It's very difficult to get up there. And he, he wasn't prepared for the elements. So, I mean, if he's up on the side of this mountain, it's going to, you know, some days it's going to be raining. And I mean, he had shorts on and probably, you know, summer clothing on. Yeah. So that, that it's all just puzzling. I wish they would have made a statement about, because you wonder, okay, you found his remains. Was it like 
shredded body parts because animals got him, and animals carried his remains up there. Yeah. They don't ex- they don't explain it, but I feel like if that was the sentiment, they would have said that. Like it's because you can yeah. you can distinctively see bear attack, yep. you know, an- animals and a boy his age is getting up in the size that you're not going to have a mountain lion take it away. Yeah. So that's where I always say, like, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah. The five-year-old's at the upper bounds of the body size. And this is my opinion. Maybe another thing we should talk to Dave about. Yeah. But that's like where there's so little, it's an easy kill. Because you, you have to think these animals aren't trying to be predators. They're just hungry. They're, they're, well, they always go for what's the weakest link. Yep. So you get something big enough, even grizzlies. I think when we were in Glacier, they said there hasn't been a grizzly attack in a group of four or more people yeah. that are together. Yep. Because you are a formidable foe. You usually run into grizzly attacks when people are solo hiking. They're solo That's, hiking or that weird guy who lived with them forever and then he got hungry. Yeah. Uh, that oh, story. Yeah. But oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's solo hikes because... They don't attack people. They protect. They protect their young. They protect their food source. And yeah, and a lot of times there's plenty of food. You know, food for these bears in the parks. Mm-hmm. You can walk right by a bear. We did on our. And it was midsummer month, so it's not like they're prepping for hibernation, which you could argue would be a dangerous time to be around a black bear. Even yeah, they're, we they're were fattening up for winter. We were hiking. I was hiking in the the Tetons last uh, summer, and we walked right by a bear right off the trail and he was chewing on a bunch, you know, in a berry patch. He looked at us and we kind of, you freeze. You're taken aback. You're like, all right, uh, let's keep moving. There's something weird. You like, you see the animals at the zoo, you recognize them. But when you're on even ground with no barrier, it's unsettling. Yeah. Until you get used to it. (laughs) uh, Luckily for us, um, you know, there's plenty of food in the park for the bears. And if they're, if they've never had human food before, they're just going to keep And if you don't provoke the bear, you can just walk right by, and he's gonna stay there eating his berries. And yeah, they don't care. Yeah, as long so. as you don't, you don't, as long as you don't pose a threat. And like I said, it's midsummer when he went missing. Yep. So you're not worried about coming out of hibernation. They're yeah. hungry and they're desperate. Yep. Or fattening up to go into hibernation. It's like a perfect time to be around the animals, probably when they're most docile. Yeah. You know, vegetation's up, animals are up. Every they're probably well fed at this point. You know, so yeah, thinking of so we really we really didn't find anything on official theories. The news on this case is very sparse. It's like they didn't care back then. Like they cared, but like, yeah, it was like, all right, they I gave think, up, and uh, there you go. I think uh, one plausible scenario is something criminal in nature that maybe he was abducted by an adult, and oh, I didn't think of this. Like you're saying, like a like someone with someone, the camp, potentially maybe someone working at the camp, maybe one of the counselors. Wow. I mean. You know, we we know the story that this counselor claimed that Bobby was behind him one second, then gone the next. I this mean, is why I like not talking to you sometimes before yeah. the show because now, like, my mind is blown. I'm thinking of like, did they place body parts up there? It's exactly. like, oh, I found him. Yeah. Or wow. did did the camp counselor that reported Bobby missing actually have involvement in his disappearance? Did that camp like a counselor, misdirection type thing? Like, I'm the one that cares the most, but really, yeah. I'm the one behind it. Yeah. Maybe. I, I mean, this is the weird. Yeah. Because. I mean, it's so, you know, I just can't imagine someone being behind you one second and then just gone the next, like completely vanished. And that, that leads me I, to... Okay, now... now <laughs> <laughs> we need to start videotaping these because, like, I'm just kind of, like, blown away because it's... I guess I went in this just trusting his story. Yeah. And now I don't at all. I don't, I mean... But, and it's... You know why it is? Because you'd expect... I think nowadays, yeah. law enforcement would be like... 
your story doesn't make sense, and they that person would become the prime suspect. Yeah, you, the counselor. And they, even if even if it was a more believable story, I think yeah. they make everyone a prime suspect until yep. they can prove they're not in, in a case like this. Where back then they're probably like, well, he's the counselor. Yeah. Why would we not believe the counselor? I know. Yeah, exactly. Like, you just weren't aware of like weirdos yeah. as much back then. But like this, I mean, you can. Holy I think, crap! I think you. Could. I think you solved it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all on the mic train right now. Yeah. All my theories are garbage. Well, no, I mean, I think you can rule out some some cases of what could have happened to him, like an animal attack. We would have seen the same thing we harp on every I, episode. I, I think seen animals tracks. out of the question. Out I, of the question. I, I think entirely because, like you said, tracks, they searched remains. the area. They would have found the remains yep. right away. The and blood. then the dogs were there. The dogs were there. The dogs were there. It's messy. And yeah. there, there w- wasn't a lot of dangerous obstacles in the area he went missing. There was a creek, obviously. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance he could have maybe walked over the creek and fallen in and somehow maybe and drowned. The, and, but it and sounds drowned like, and then his body went upstream yeah (laughs) exactly yeah and it went upstream so you know you can kind of rule out he didn't fall off the trail and you know into a crevasse or something there weren't any of these around the trail sheer effort to get to the elevation he did through and you can look at the pictures we'll post them on there the elevation he got to what he would have had to gone through to get there yep is just a 10 year old could not do it okay i'll back up some 10 year olds could the average 10 year old. Absolutely not. I'm yeah. sure there's a kid out there that can climb, climb Mount Everest, yeah. you know, it, with his eyes blindfolded. Cause yeah. these crazy kids out there. Doing but crazy I mean, stuff. yeah, to me, the, the most, you know, ruling out the really crazy stuff like Bigfoot and aliens, which yeah. sometimes is the fun stuff to talk about. It's fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, if someone presents me evidence, I will evidence, 100% ev- yeah. ju- jump on board. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think you got to stick with what's the most plausible things that happened. And I really think that... So we're in agreement, no animals. I don't think it was an animal attack. I, I'm with you. I think yeah. I think you'd have to... The counselor would have heard it. Well, I mean, well, now the counselor's a liar, so... Yeah, the counselor is my prime suspect, <laughs> yeah, I think. But uh, yeah. let's, let's say the counselor's... Everyone's a liar. Yeah. No animal. It's, it's, uh, no, unless I, someone provides me some research or evidence that I we think didn't we talk can about rule out animal attack. i think i'm 100 yep. percent ruling out i'll say 99 because if someone comes up with some yeah. bombshell one of our listeners calls in and says no <laughs> this is why it is animal yep. you didn't talk about this and here's proof and some report yeah awesome i'll come on here and say you know i animal was wrong attack. yeah but as far as i'm concerned right now not an animal and yeah i think you can rule it out too because the predators in the park i mean if there were grizzlies maybe it's a little more likely but all the predators in that park are not the kinds that are going to just go out of their way to attack and a 10-year-old no kid. And no park predator, like, eats a whole victim. Yeah. Like, and leaves nothing behind. And the counselor would have heard it. Yep. I mean, let's be well, honest here. The counselor's here. a liar. Yeah. No, no, I think, yeah, I, I think know what you're can, saying. Yeah, I, you're I saying. think you can rule out um, self-injury. I, I don't think he, you know, he didn't fall into a, you know, somewhere where they couldn't find him. The trail is just a downward sloping trail along a creek. And maybe he could he have fallen in the creek. I, we don't know how deep this creek was. Yeah. But... Um, From the pictures I saw, it's like a, a like a babbling brook. Oh, so you could like. Stand I mean, in it's it. it's yeah, deep enough that he's fishing. Yep. So there's fish, but you don't need a deep Maybe creek like to fish. Yeah, it, it wasn't like you know you think Mississippi River. Yeah. All the way to well, like, and they like searched. Stream. They searched that entire river. So if he had fallen in the river and drowned, yep, they would have found him downstream. Yeah. Or where he drowned. Or like at strainer points. Yeah, at, in, at points in, where he get caught up on a rock or something. Yeah, so, for anyone listening, strainer points in search and rescue are anywhere where there's down trees or yep. brush or things that would catch stuff. Yep. So if you can imagine, if you've ever gone to a river, you can find there's like garbage will 
accumulate in a certain area or yeah. things accumulate in areas. Those are called strainer points. You know, I think ruling out all of the the usual suspects for what happens to a missing person, I think what doesn't jive for me is you only have one camp counselor that was with him. The search and rescue didn't really start until several days later after he was missing. So if the counselor is the prime suspect and abducted this kid, he had the time to hide the body or hide the kid or whatever happened to the kid. Maybe down the road, the counselor himself put his remains higher, high enough up on the mountain, assuming no one's going to find it. Yeah. And do you, then do you have, so I, I, okay, I'm, I'm totally on the mic train right now. Like I'm not getting off. Like on board. we are, it's, it's like the hyper it's, it's Elon Musk's hyperloop. Yeah. You can't get off. Cause I'm, I'm loving this theory right now. Um, so there's, I think there's two paths. This theory takes one, he abducted the kid, kept him alive. Yep. For a period of time. And then... And that's how... And either let him out or the kid got out at some point yeah. in Estes Park where people saw him. Yes. And then at some point before camp came back in session, mm-hmm. he either killed him before yeah. then and disposed of the body or... Well, at some point he would have had to kill him or he died. Yeah. And he disposed of the body up the mountain somewhere where it wouldn't be easy to find. Yeah. But... And in an area I that was already... Know, I would love to know... If the same guy who went to go get him for dinner yeah. was also leading the hike where they discovered the body. Yeah, see so that, he led him to the, the area where the remains were I don't found. know. I don't know um, it'd the be details hard to, on it'd that. It'd be hard to find a piece of clothing and 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 a hearing aid. It did say one brush. of the counselors who led the original search was the one who found the bones. Mm-hmm. Maybe the logic in the counselor that we allegedly say did this now. I guess we should say allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Because there's probably people still alive, and if he's still there... Yeah, who knows? He um, come after us. But we don't know his name. Yeah. So we, we don't. There were, we never found out any of I the counselors' names. I kind of want to spend some time and figure this out now. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe logically he's thinking, all right, I'm, I need to dispose of these remains. I'm going to pick somewhere higher up on the mountain that was already searched, assuming like, well, you know, they already searched us. They're not going to come back and look again, so I'm safe dumping this stuff here. Yeah. Out of off, it wasn't on a trail. It sounds like they were just free hiking up the mountain and found this stuff. Yeah, which makes it even less reasonable that they just stumbled yeah. across such a small object and thick. My only question is, what happened to Bobby from the, the moment the counselor reported him missing to when the search started? So what, you know, if the counselor is... And know, that, that's, that's what's crazy. So like, what did he do with the Bobby? The other did track he, is... He killed Bobby. Yeah, he, he's he's a a messed up guy. He kills Bobby there. Yeah, and the all the sightings in town are more like red herrings. Yeah, where people, people know, know the about the story and they maybe saw a kid with a hearing impairment. Yep, and it's just a, t- a ten year old. They're like, oh, that looked like Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> like just because it's almost like you, they um, I don't know exactly what they say, but they talk about witness statements and how terrible witness statements are and crimes and, and things, especially when you think something. Yeah. And they'll even, they've, I've seen shows where they'll test people like, all right, go in this room and remember as much as you can. Yeah. And they'll have a lot of stuff happen and then they have them recreate it and they're just off. They're yeah. terrible. <laughs> they're ter- Every now and then you get somebody's good, but like no one's ever right. So that's yeah. why they talk about witness statements as being awful. So it's a matter of, you know, did they hit the jackpot and happen to see a 10 year old boy with a hearing impairment, which yeah. I don't think would be too common. And he never really was alive that long. He's been dead. The camp counselor killed him, hid the body after search was done, put it up there, and then Mm -hmm. it decomposed for a year. Yeah. And then he let him there or... I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think we opened a whole other can of worms with uh, my little theory there, but... um, Well, now it's making me branch into yet another theory. (laughs) Um, Just because... 
Now, keep in mind, I don't have context, but the message in the leaflet they papered and the parents' willingness to give up, to me, is shady. To me, that's a red flag. They seem to kind of be like, hey, he's gone. Yep. Now, I'm going to, I'm going a little, you know, theory here, going yeah. down the road. Hearing impaired kid back then, difficult to deal with. Yeah. Are they sending him to this camp because they don't want to deal with him? You know, they're just shitty parents. Yep. Did they pay to have something happen to Bobby? Yeah. Well, that's- so they have to look concerned for nine days and like, we have given up all hope. He's never coming back. Yeah. And are they in cahoots with the lying camp counselor who murdered him? Well, I think that, you know, who knows? So there you go. We'll, we'll never know, but at least uh, we're throwing some theories out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, if the camp counselor's still alive, he uh, isn't mad at us for, you know, allegedly fingering we're getting him in a some, crime now. We're getting a lot of listeners now. I'm <laughs> fairly certain if he's live day, he doesn't listen to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and as much as I'd like to believe he'd hear about us, yeah. probably not. Well, uh He's always open to uh, contact us and set the record straight if he is yeah, still well, alive. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be awkward because I just yeah. slandered him and, and just like, he's well, a liar. He murdered him. We didn't. We, <laughs> but, but we'll do it. We didn't release his name, so uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, he's still f- good for now. Yeah, um, and what we'll do too, because uh, as mentioned several times, we're going to interview Dave. Uh, we're going to ask his opinion on this, so we'll cut to his theory. Uh, should we cut to it now? We could. Dave's theory? Yeah. All right. And without further ado, here is <laughs> Dave's theory of what could have happened to Bobby Bizza. Biza. Bizza. Biza. <laughs> so, I, you know, it, it'd be interesting to hear your take on this being that you've been in search and rescue for so many years. And maybe what do you think happened to Bobby? Because I don't think anyone really knows. It's not 100% unique, but it is different to find remains that are that far away yeah um, you can your mind can go wild in different areas it <laughs> narrows it down um it could be backpackers um somebody uh, may may have snatched him full but that's always a possibility a thing you can't really rule out um thing is the counselor you would think would have heard him yell or scream or something uh, even if he came across a wild animal, such as a bear or a mountain lion that uh, may have attacked him, you would think you would have heard something. Now, that being said, the only thing that would make sense is that he ran across some type of a wild animal that got a hold of him. Then over time, the, you know, I mean, it's just like any other animal that's on, on the hill, they're always looking for food, they get stuff, and they fight over it, and where he ended up, and it was just bits and pieces, it wouldn't surprise me that some animal or elk or some animal had, you know, got where the mains were found. It's, it's, it's kind of hard. Your imagination could go wild. I know, yeah. <laughs> they kind of make it a little more interesting. There were, all, there were a couple people that down in Estes Park, I think that's 15 miles away from where he went missing, claimed, you know, a couple months later to have seen him and walking around in town. It just makes it even more bizarre. I'm on the the leaning that something criminal in nature may have happened. It's weird that the bloodhounds they had up there, if he would have been snatched by an animal, you'd almost think they would have picked that scent up. One, one would think, um, thing of it is you get 
300 people up there. And were the bloodhounds uh, up there the first day? Were they brought in as an afterthought a couple of days later? Um, area gets contaminated with all these people going through. See, how the, the dogs find your scent is your skin. Your skin is constantly shedding off these particles all the time. And that's what the dogs log in on. So if that gets moved around high winds, uh, rain, uh, yeah, it's that's why you try to get the dogs up there as soon as you can, and they go in first. Being that the case is so old, there is not a lot of detail on it anymore. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to get your, your opinion on uh, sure. what happened. Yeah, I, I would head towards, I mean, me personally, after watching the uh, the video on it, the first place I would go to was, was an animal attack. Okay. And then if it was not an animal attack, then it could have been um, done by, by a human of some kind. When we uh, first spoke, you uh, mentioned that your team is entirely made up of uh, volunteers. Uh, a couple of just qu- you know questions off of that. Um, you know, one, do you find it kind of difficult sometimes to balance a day job and then you know your volunteer work on the search and rescue team? Then you mentioned your organization doesn't charge for the services you provide. How do, how are you funded? Are you funded purely through donations from citizens or? Yeah, well, the first part of your, your question there is um, yeah, we are all volunteers. Uh, there are a few uh, search and rescue teams in the state that are not. Uh, that's how that works. For us, it's totally volunteer. Um, I, I work for a communications company uh, here in uh, Denver, and they are nice enough that if uh, the call comes, I can drop everything and uh, go running and pick up my work uh, when things are settled down. Just so anyone listening, if they're, if they're curious, where, uh, where's your website if, in case someone that's living out in the, the Denver area wants to donate to your organization or you know, read more about what you guys do? Uh, we're located in Adams uh, County. It's where we're based out of. We okay. do search and rescue in Adams, Morgan, and Lincoln counties out here in Colorado. And our website is www.rampart.com. SAR.com. So it's RampartSAR.com. If you do a Google search for Rampart Search and Rescue, mm-hmm. it'll pop up. And if they want to donate, we do have a PayPal button on our main uh, page that they, they can donate. They don't have to be a member of PayPal. If they just got a credit card, they can put it in there. So. Okay. okay. And then all of our information is on there. We're always looking for members. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the door is always open. Excellent. Well, uh, Dave, I, I thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. And you had a lot of really interesting things to say. And it's good to get the opinion of an expert in search and rescue. No problem. Glad to do it. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right. Well, uh, welcome back. Uh, that about <laughs> does it for this episode. We'd like to thank all of our listeners and people that are tuning in every episode now. Uh, Joe and I'd like to make this kind of a, a two-month episode two episodes a month type of thing. Yeah, that's the goal. Um, we still both work full-time on day jobs, so... We got to do that. We Otherwise, have to do, there's no more episodes. Yeah, no more episodes. Um, but We'll if, accept donations, so yeah. think about that. You can contact us if you're willing to pay for us to do this full-time. That would be awesome. That would be great. But based on our, our listener counts going up, 
Yeah. I was, I was, I will have to say, I don't I, know, I don't know if there's a rule about podcasting where you talk about listener count, but I am extremely surprised about how many people listen to this every day, which makes me either think we're ridiculous enough that it's like a, a like just a shit show and people like, or they <laughs> actually enjoy the content and us, which is really neat because I came in with realistic expectations of we're doing this for fun, yep. maybe a couple a week. Yeah. We're into like the hundreds a day. Yeah. Without really doing any serious advertising. That's pretty cool. So it's uh, one of my theories on that. Um, my mom is a hairdresser and she has this group of friends that she lovingly calls <laughs> the soccer moms. Yeah. And it's because they're all the moms that when I was in grade school, maybe she's making them listen to it several times a day. Well, there we and go. So she's still like helicoptering over me. Or we have legitimate listeners. Yeah. Which I'm going to go with that. Well, yeah, there we go. That's a good theory. <laughs> if you like this episode, we've got two other episodes that we've already recorded live on all the major podcast directories. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, like us on Facebook. Interact with us. We we love hearing from people that listen to the show and find this kind of content interesting. So Yeah, we've had a couple uh, fans write their theories and stuff. We try and respond back on Facebook because... Like I said, if, if you heard something here or know something that and you just have a fun theory to share, yep. please do. Because it's it's been fun interacting with a few people that have responded to the episodes, and, and we do love the feedback. And like I've said other episodes, if anyone listening is in search and rescue or law enforcement, avid backcountry you know, hikers with a lot of experience, we'd love to hear from you and maybe get you on a future episode to kind of share your thoughts on these cases, because... Uh, there's one thing to just listen to me and Joe, but it, it's good to yeah, hear. We haven't seen it all. We haven't done it all. It's good to hear experts give their opinions on things. With that, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. I'm, I started recording. <clears throat> so let me. Oh, I'm gonna play the, the intro and then oh, I'm go. gonna play the intro and then go. <laughs> I'm, I'm still recording. Yeah. I'm, I'm still recording. Yeah. Don't tell me my business. Don't tell me my <laughs> business. Alright. Thousands. 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 Hello and welcome to Location. Hello and welcome to Location.